The Seven Cities podcast is dedicated to interviewing artists in the Chicagoland area, their supporters, and developers. Join us on our journey as we look at all aspects of the seven arts. Hey, Em, how was your week? It's been a crazy oh week. God. It's been very busy. Yes. <laughs> so for those so, of um, home. <laughs> I started a new job. Oh, yes, that's right. How's your new job? Tell me about it. It's it's interesting so far. Um, I'm learning about the book publishing industry, and I didn't really know anything about book publishing mm-hmm. But um, I'm finding out that I'm doing things like applying for rights and copyrights of new titles and registering Mm -hmm. them with Library of Congress. And all of this is actually crossing over into like art song registration and copyrights for new productions. So it's really fascinating and completely new and very confusing. (laughs) (laughs) But this is all really great information for us to have. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And that's the way that my mind likes to work anyway, is if I have to do a task that I go, okay, this seems absolutely insurmountable, I will actually like, first I'll chunk it down. And then each chunk, I will literally network in my brain and be like, okay, how else can I use this? So as I'm learning it, I'm actually cross-referencing across other things I could do with it. That's (laughs) I I actually have been really fascinated with what okay so the library of congress goes through um this really interesting way of certifying a mm. title and the first thing that they do is they want to make sure that there is no other copy of that title in existence like anywhere in any language <laughs> so you're you apply for a copyright and then you don't hear anything back for like 3 or 4 wow. months um, and that's that's an expedited process. That's been sped up significantly with technological advances. So this this used to be you would, you know, apparently send away for a title and you would wait months, if not a year, to hear yeah. back. And in the meantime, you're printing this title and you're just putting all these books with no information in a, you know a pile somewhere. <laughs> so literally, that's what they used to do in the office. They used to have stacks of like 600 copies of books because you have to you have to physically print the book before you can apply for a copyright. Um, so I just didn't know this. There are just you know stacks of books sitting around somewhere, and it just makes my little book loving heart really really warm and crinkly inside. I just I really oh love that. <laughs> yeah me too. I I love the idea of like of books having to wait to be born. Yeah. <laughs> And it's crazy because a lot of them, some of the titles that were, well, I can't tell you the titles, obviously, but some of the titles we're doing are time sensitive. Like they have to deal with coronavirus or um, quarantine. Mm -hmm. So you want to push those out as fast as possible, right? Same thing with the production. You want to get what's new and hot out in front of people, but there's this lag time. So there's this massive push for production and then everybody just kind of plays, sit around and wait the same way you do with an actual production. So it's just been a lot of fun. That's amazing. But speaking of productions, talk to me about you and your week. What have you been doing? Oh my goodness. Prepping for our, uh, well, I'm sorry, listeners. At the time that this episode comes out, it will be past the premiere of our first ever spring gala but I've been prepping for it all week that's coming up tonight and um it's been crazy a little bit for me just because there's so many moving parts that I have been really trying to you know make sure that I am on top of my lists of things to do and that uh that I'm following up with people you know, on their parts of everything. I learned how to efficiently edit videos this week. I (laughs) had to create all of the the little videos that we're going to show this evening. Um, And, uh, you know, it was was a process. It was exciting and difficult. And I always love learning something new. So it was kind of a fun week for me. But I, I'm so yeah. excited about this. Me gala. too. Tell them about it. Tell them about it. Tease them about it. It's amazing. <laughs> we decided to do a throwback to the 1970s, 1980s 
uh, gal, uh, gala, sorry, telethons that used to be on PBS, you know, with Mary Lee yeah. Lewis and all these, these just, you know, larger than life characters, people, personalities who would run these telethons. And I just, I thought it would be really fun because we could intersperse videos of our past season and what's coming up in the future. Um, and, you know, let our audiences get to know our team a little bit better, but also really drive home the idea that we are fundraising for our next season and help fundraise the $40,000 that we need for next season. <laughs> so yes. yeah, it, it, it was really fun. I, I think that the part that was the hardest for me was putting together my costume. (laughs) I really wanted to play a a 1980s, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the right word is. You know, someone who's kind of boring, but (laughs) self-important. So I wanted to look generic enough to kind of fit into like the popular look of the 1980s. But also, yes. you know, not quite right <laughs> to represent it. that, that uh, you know, homegrown PBS personality that we all remember from our childhood, you know, local celebrity kind of personality. <laughs> I was the weird kid who actually liked the PBS telethon when it was I, on because they showed all the cool right. little clips. I loved the PBS telethon when I was growing up too. I felt the same way. Go, go ahead. I was always like, oh, that's a cool show. I want to see that. So like the other thing we're doing tonight is we're announcing next That's right. I'm so excited about that. It's going to be so much fun. Um, I'm really excited and energized by this next season coming up. So I'm hoping that, you know, tonight we can really connect with our audience and help them feel excited too. So, yeah. I think it's going to translate. I mean, we've been having a, a riot in the rehearsals. <laughs> it made writing the whole thing so much easier. Yeah. Knowing that we were going with like this theme and it just made it so much fun. I know. <laughs> well, and, and it caused me to think about what we could do in potential future galas, which I'm not going to share here because I want to surprise you all you listeners out there next year but I I just love how these kind of specific projects give you ideas for for future things to work on and that's uh, I'm so excited <laughs> well at the time that this comes out they'll be able to go to the YouTube channel and watch it that's right we're gonna right. leave it up and donate to corporate actions if they want to. <laughs> Yeah. Help us reach our four hundred or for, sorry, forty thousand dollar goal, please. <laughs> well, part of what we're doing this next season is coming in. I mean, the next project's in. Oh my god, June. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, that's so. I know. Soon. Talk about the Pride concert. I'm so excited about so this. We have the incredible artistry of composer. Uh, Felix Gerard. He's a BIPOC LGBTQ plus, uh, an incredible composer. He is so, his music is so lush and thoughtful. It's really, it's really warm. And, and he loves poetry that is kind of dark in nature. And these, these three song cycles that we're, that we're performing, um, will be that that all along those lines, but also are very definitely queer in nature. You know, thinking about relationships uh, and and uh, experiences that that queer people go through. But we, in particular, I'm really excited to work with the all of the artists who are involved in this project. Um, not just yeah. Felix, but also Tracy Cox, who is one of my heroes on Instagram. She, oh, she's amazing. She is an activist for for uh, for uh, body shaming. Like she she tries to fight against you know the stigma in our culture 
against fat people and and that kind of fat phobia that exists that is prevalent in our culture. And I think she's just an incredible person. I really can't wait to meet her. (laughs) I kind of am a little starstruck. Uh, Not only is she an amazing activist, but she is also a fantastic singer. And we are super lucky to have her along. Um, I'm also really excited. Uh, Joseph Charles Butel is our bass baritone for the event. And he and I actually went to school together. He is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And his voice is glorious. So I am so excited to get to share this event with with all of our listeners out there. Um, It will be on June 24th at 7 p.m. Central Time on our YouTube channel. So, yeah. Beautiful. I'm really excited to be able to premiere some more contemporary music. And I love the idea of, you know, we're we're getting to the point where um, it's the end of the 2021 season and the beginning of the 21-22 season. And everyone's starting to open up and and really sort of get out there and experiment with not only digital art, but also digital and live art together and what can be done. And I just see contemporary music as playing this huge role in that. And I'm so excited that this is a really big part of course season next year. Yeah, me too. And, um, you know, if you watch our spring gala, you'll get to see what those new works are. Yes. <laughs> you, can, you can see it on our YouTube channel. It's uh, KOR Productions. Anyway, <laughs> I'm really excited. I, I can't wait to really get to dive into Felix's music. It's so, I can't tell you how beautiful it is. He has a lot of works on YouTube already. So uh, if you really are itching to find out more about him, you should check him out. He premiered a last weekend uh, music, The Telltale Heart, uh, which is that story by Edgar Allan Poe he turned into an opera so I I think he's just got one of those unique incredible brains (laughs) you know people need it I love the idea of using dark poetry Um, maybe it's COVID I I don't know but I've just been really exploring this darker sort this darker sort of you know um subject matter Mm -hmm. and it just has been really resonating with me I really like the idea of doing like horror operas in the future or (laughs) something I I don't know I just really love it I just think it's amazing and it's such an untapped genre and with film and digital you know presence you can do so many special effects I know so it's it's actually something that's in our heads our our uh, technical director for Don Giovanni, Kevin Kittle, whom we interviewed in our last session. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about turning our version of Don Giovanni into a film. And I think that we could really incorporate some horror elements, especially with Kevin's help, because, you know, he's a genius in that genre. Um, it'd be really fun. But anyway, that's something I'm thinking about for the future. <laughs> Well, tell me what you've been up to individually, because like I know you've been working on other stuff too. Is it, I mean, this is part of the reason why it's been such a busy week. I know. Well, uh, you know, I, I teach voice lessons, and I I work on um, my own writing things throughout the week, um, and that lately has looked like I've, I'm turning the magic flute into a one-woman show, much like I did the Skiki that we did as a fundraiser. I loved your Skiki. It was really, really a joy to perform. Um, That story lends itself so well to that genre. Um, Jim and I performed it in Buffalo, gosh, I guess five or more years ago. And time not to <laughs> these days. <laughs> um, and I really wanted the chance to bring it to life again. And so, that, yeah, I really just I love that story. The music tells the story for you. It's such a joy yeah. to get to to get to 
speak those words and sing those gorgeous long Puccini lines. But anyway, back to the Mozart. <laughs> so wait a minute, you went from Johnny Skiki, which is a hysterical, like light comic romantic opera yes. to Mozart's Magic Flute, yes. which is heavy on, you know, metaphor. It's much heavier top. How did you make that jump? And what made you pick flute? Well, I, I really love so many aspects of the magic flute. First of all, the, the music is so gorgeous. Um, the story mm. is kind of fantastical in an S in a, in a way, but because at the center of it, there's this, this search for self and for how you fit into the world around you, it really is relatable, much like any great sci-fi story. <laughs> I love that. So I think that's really what draws me to it. It definitely has some, you know, problematic areas like most opera does. Um, yes. But I think, you know, given our current culture, it, it will behoove us to dive into it and explore it rather than ignore it. Um, you know, I love that idea. Yeah. We were um, we were talking about the idea of taking something old and making something new mm -hmm. out of it. And it's so interesting that when you, I don't know if you've seen um, lately, but there's been this push for artwork that's made out of old books where they'll literally take an old book, they open it, they hollow out some of the pages and they'll build a little scene, a miniature scene inside yeah, of I it. Have and then you hang it on your wall. Yeah. Cool. So I love the idea of taking this book, which nobody's reading. And yes, it is a work of art, but it's just sitting there moldering away and nobody's doing anything with it. And then they make it something new. So you can appreciate the old, but see the new. I think we can do that with opera. Oh, 100%. And I, I love that you are not afraid to play with it. You're not afraid to take it apart and put it together in new ways. Like there is a real hesitancy. I feel from some people to do that because it's almost like they don't want to be disrespectful of it mm -hmm. or they're afraid of it. And I just don't get that. Like, I love that you play with it freely and you make such brilliant things when you do Thank it. Thank you. I think it's going to be interesting. I, I, I think I can appreciate people's fear, you know, for, uh, for not wanting to, to do or say something quote unquote wrong, you know? Yes. But I, I, <laughs> I've never shied away from, you know, asking a stupid question or, or looking like an idiot in front of anyone. Um, so it makes you a good producer. Oh, I think, I think so. Um, uh, but I'm hoping that I have a healthy dose of healthy dose of self-skepticism right. and being able to laugh That's at yourself, right. make an ass out of yourself. <laughs> It's pretty important, I think. <laughs> if you want to make great, yeah. if you want to make great art, you have to be willing to make great mistakes. <laughs> well, you have to be vulnerable. That's the other thing is, you know, un unlike the book, which is a physical thing that once you alter it, it can't go back. You can always go back to the original magic flute. You know, no one's destroyed that production. Right. So I don't, I don't understand the visceral knee jerk reaction from some people to be like oh no no I couldn't do that I of course you can it's not broken it still is there right. like no nobody's changed it. and by and by you know pulling it apart and looking at it in different pieces and and saying is this okay is this not a, you know like what is it what is valuable here and what can we let go of then we can start yes. to to ask ourselves those really deeper questions <laughs> you know what are yes. we hoping to achieve in society that the magic flute highlights? And what are we hoping to, you know, dismantle? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's that way of thinking, that Marie Kondoing way of doing art that I think is going to really serve everybody going forward. So. It's okay to love old things and still admit that they're problematic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I... I happen to love the book Gone with the Wind. Mm. I also know that it has so many problems. Yeah. <laughs> so many problems. Absolutely. So many problems. Ugh. So uh, by taking it apart and looking at it, I'm so with you. It also helps you to appreciate Mozart's genius to take it apart 
and see the way he put it together, yeah. it helps you to appreciate it more. I feel. I feel like you know we did that with Don Giovanni to an extent, and and I really wanted to deep dive into the characters in that in that opera and by doing that i think we found a new level of where mozart could have gone you know if he were allowed to think outside of the patriarchal you know uh um misogynistic box <laughs> that they were all yeah. kept in at that time i think you know having having that exploration of of queerness and of of self exploration helped helped me look at Mozart in a totally different way and and I yeah. I look forward to to looking at him again <laughs> this summer this summer I'm hoping to finish up that uh, the story, the text that I'll be writing. You can do it. I know you can do it. You're good at that. I need to start to write more often. I, I, I think I need to have, you know, some sort of accountability. I'll set a timer or something, but yeah. I'm just very impressed with you always. <laughs> You're so sweet. Well, so what have you been writing? <laughs> I know you've oh, well. <laughs> um. So for those at home who don't know, I also, um, in addition to working with Joanna at CORE, I also have my own independent production company, um, Cox Productions. Do you want to tell us a bit about Cox Productions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Cox Productions started last year in the middle of COVID um, due to, well, I'd I'd actually started it earlier. That's not true. Um, Once upon a time, I was writing a one-woman show and it was going very well. And I was attempting to get it picked up by venues here in town. And it is very difficult if you are not backed by a very large wallet or someone who knows somebody in the industry who can vouch for you to get a large scale theater to just put on an independent production. Yeah, they feel like they're um, taking some kind of risk or something. They are. They really are taking a financial risk. They're taking a um, artistic risk. You know, word of mouth and reputation is everything in this city. It's everything in every city. Um, I I, I tell everybody, you know, the further up you go in the business, you realize nobody really knows what they're doing. They're just playing with a bigger wallet (laughs) and a bigger budget than you. And they just are better at faking that they know what they're doing. Um, But everybody's, you know, just figuring it out as we go because there's no real step-by-step way to do this. Um, so I was getting frustrated because I had a great project and I had data to back that project up, you know, ticket sales and past productions. Um, but I just couldn't get anybody to take a chance on me, even though I had data to show that I was worthwhile and I could make them money. So I just did the classic Emma thing, which is, I said, to hell with it. I'm just going to do it myself then. Um, and I formed an LLC, which was actually pretty easy. Uh, I went to a, a seminar or two. And then I sought out the help of the Lawyers for the Creative Arts mm-hmm. here in Chicago, which is a great organization that um, allows lawyers to volunteer pro bono and help creatives and other people who, you know, normally need a sliding scale to pay them um, with all sorts of, you know, legal work and representation. Right. So I, I did, I formed it. And then I performed my, my show in the Elgin Fringe Festival and um, the Chicago Fringe Festival. And then COVID happened the next year. I was poised and ready to do a my first production of the new Swipe Left, which I wrote with Joanna, who was my director, and she was amazing, and just took what I had on the page and really helped to pull the information and the ideas and the heart of the entire piece out of me and put it on the page. It was just amazing, the process that we did, the rewrite. I really um, enjoyed it. I just want to be it was it was beautiful it was definitely a birthing process and you were amazing I would write anything with you any day um so yeah I was poised and ready to perform it for the first inaugural Chicago cabaret week and then COVID shut everything down so I really didn't have anything to do for a while and I was seeking out projects so I I had this idea in my head um I really want to serve my community. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a big part of who I am as a person. 
And it's a big part of my husband, who he is as a person. And so together, we decided we uh, every year, you know, we donate and we throw a party and we do all sorts of fundraisers and stuff for um, the Chicago Food Depository here in town. And we weren't able to do it last year because of COVID. So we wanted to do something to, you know, help raise money for the local food shelters. So we put on a digital concert. Uh, we called it What a Character. We actually did it about two weeks ago, I think. Yeah, it, was- it was on the 24th of April. Yes. Um, and we used a live streaming uh, technician here in town, Chungers Kim, over at Lincoln Park Presbyterian Church. He was able to give us different camera angles, you know, different technology. And, and um, he oversaw the stream live on our end and then broadcast it to Boston where another technician got it and then put it live on their website so everybody could see it. And it was this amazing experience because we were able to sing and do a bunch of characters that we've always wanted to do. I was able to cast myself, which is always an empowering yes. <laughs> exercise, always an empowering exercise. Um, because, you know, some, you see yourself very differently artistically than other people do. And often in this business, the way we are interpreted becomes so much of a persona of who we think we yes. are that it's nice to remind ourselves every now and then that we have range and depth that might not be seen by others. Amen. So it was a, yeah, right. Amen. <laughs> so it was really empowering for us to be able to, after COVID, you know, after this, this horrible experience to do these characters that we've always wanted to do artistically, we were fulfilled, but we were also able to perform for friends and family members who haven't seen us in almost a decade. Wow because they're all over the nation or they're international. Um, so that was great. And we raised $500 for the food That's bank incredible. in a single evening in 50 minutes. It was really Congratulations. wonderful. Highly recommend using Sparrow Live services. Highly recommend, you know, um, contacting Lincoln Park Presbyterian Church and Chungers Kim. They made it such an easy and enjoyable process. We just had so much fun. That's wonderful. So- I wrote that and arranged that. And then writing, I've been writing this play. Yes. (laughs) Which are the worst words you could ever tell your friends. I've been writing a play and everyone goes, oh God, oh God. Um, But I've been writing this play. I can't wait to hear about it. Uh, I know. I took a couple, it's always been a bucket list item of mine to write a play. Oh. And go over COVID for my 36th birthday, I gave myself a playwriting class. Um, there was a guy that I've followed for a long time. His name's Eric Patterson. Mm-hmm. He's a writer in LA. Mm-hmm. He does a lot in Broadway and off-Broadway. Um, but then he also does a lot in the LA theater scene and in Hollywood. Oh, cool. um, so I wanted to learn how to write in a way that I could express myself He's very good at taking dark subject matter and turning it into highly relatable, but also hilarious situations. So these horrible things, you know, the death of a parent or um, someone being killed by a drunk driver, you're watching a play about that and you're laughing and crying because it's so funny. I wanted to learn how to do that. So I went to Eric and I took um, a playwriting class with him and I started this, this play And it's this ridiculous story and it's been so frivolous and it's been so much fun to just indulge. And it's- You were were telling me a little bit about the subject matter. Do you feel like sharing with our listeners at home? Definitely. So over COVID, one of my very good friends um, was experiencing a lot of difficulty putting his mother into a home, which is a horrible experience to go through with a parent at any time. Um, his mother had dementia and didn't understand. And, you know, just the hearing from him, the process of Medicare, Medicaid registration, interviewing at these places and finding a place that is not only available to offer the level of care that you can afford and that you want for your loved ones, but also will be able to stimulate them mentally and keep them engaged socially. It's it's horrible the way that we are treating um, people over the age of 60 in our society, it's almost as if we we say, okay, well, you're used up and you're not good to us anymore. Right. 
And we sort of put them in these places. Yeah. Go ahead. We almost, no, you're fine. We almost don't want to look at them. You know, we put them in nursing homes and then we never visit. Um, So we were talking and I started writing a scene for uh, my class. And this funny little scene came out of a cruise ship and a captain who was smuggling elderly patients and people aboard and then refusing to let them dock and get off his boat because he felt that they were better taken care of there. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I'm going to go and kind of explore that. And so I started doing some research. It is today in 2020, it is cheaper for you to retire and live the remainder of your life on a cruise ship than it is anywhere in the continental U.S. to try to live in a nursing home. (laughs) That's incredible. Is that not insane? And even worse, the level of care that you receive and attention and the social levels and just the mental stimulation and fulfillment of people living on cruise ships is almost 300% more than those living in a nursing home or a elderly society care home. So I just went, oh my God, come on. This is a story if there ever was one. So (laughs) the name of the play is the Galatia, which is the name of the ship. And it's a story um, that involves a couple different levels. I wanted to talk about the idea of family. Mm -hmm. And is it the people that, you know, you're born to, or is it the people that you choose to be with every day in your life? And what is... What does family mean? And Mm. when we get to a certain point in our life, are we the summation of our lived experiences and our contribution to society and, you know, the projects we've done, or is it more than that? And who are we in terms of, you know, the rest of the world? How do we affect others? And how do our life changes as we get older affect others? Oh my gosh, I love Um, that. It, it was, it's a lot of fun. So it's, it's a boat captain who happens to have several members of this Royal British Marine cruise line uh-huh. on his uh-huh. ship who are board members who have dementia and, you know, some days they're fine and some days they're not. So he shelters and takes care of them. Well, there's been a major shift wow. at the board and they are wanting to come aboard and uh, estimate the value of this ship the Galatia, which means they have to hide all these patients and these people (laughs) and passengers. So I've done a lot of wacky stuff just because I found it entertaining. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of like running gags because I love that sort of arrested development, continual modern family, you know, carry the joke over until the audience catches on and then everyone's inside on the joke kind of humor. Um, One of them is that, you know, they're, they never dock, so they can't get anything new. So they only have none habit costumes on board. So they just continuously do the same three shows over and over again. Uh, Nonsense, Sound of Music, and Swore Angelica over and over and over again. And that's just because I wanted them to be running around on stage in nun costumes at some point. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So I'll probably do a reading of it. Um, I'm aiming for July okay. just because... You know, when you write something new, it's embarrassing. It's your baby and you love it. And you don't want to like introduce it to people and have people go, oh, it's great, Em, <laughs> and, and destroy that. And I don't think anybody will, but I'm just very, I'm a perfectionist. So I think I'm going to aim for July when I can do a final edit. Okay. Well, I look forward to listening to that because <laughs> I Oh, no, you're going to be a part of it. I wrote a character oh, for you. <laughs> <laughs> I this is the other reason why people hate it is because you go oh no you're gonna be in it oh good <laughs> um I call for Angelica <laughs> oh absolutely Mrs. Garrison <laughs> I I did so many ridiculous things and and I based a lot of it off of the convos with my friend like that's amazing somebody dies on board and here you go. This will blow your mind. Yeah. I did not know. It is very common for people to die on cruise ships. Oof. There's an average of four to five passengers deaths on every cruise ship. Yeah. Every time you brought. Is that That's insane? 
this is just this is just common knowledge. People know this. It's on. I mean, you can Google it. It'll just you'll pop up all these articles oh, and discussions. That's so crazy. I just, there's this whole other world out there on the ocean. I had no idea what was going on. They're just partying all day and dying at <laughs> night. So on the seven seas. Oh my gosh. We're either amazingly hilarious or just terrible people. <laughs> I I have a terrible feeling it's the latter. <laughs> but it's it's sort of like what you did. Um you know, with, with the magic flute, it was, I was fascinated by something and I kind of followed it down a rabbit hole and, you know, we'll see where it goes. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll be one of those little things that we do a reading and it never sees the light of day. It's a very large cast. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. It's about 25 people. And I never understood when you, when you write a, a program mm-hmm. or you write it like a script, mm-hmm. right? You feel like you have an idea of where the story is going and you can kind of control mm-hmm. it. And you really can't do that with a play. No. The the best pages that I wrote were when I sat down and I was like, well, let's see what happens. I have no idea. And the characters kind of take the plot development and go in a sometimes they're going in the direction I know and sometimes they go in a totally other direction. I had no idea what was yeah, happening. That's it. I wrote a scene that did not make the final cut in which they ran a ground on an iceberg. <laughs> I don't know why. Just happened at the time. Never, you know, we'll cut it and we won't use it. And maybe maybe this will be produced and maybe it won't. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's more about, you know, following your bliss. <laughs> I love that. Um, I feel like the 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 thing about the characters you know just showing themselves i also took a writing course over covid and um <gasps> i don't know if i told you that or not no you didn't tell me that tell me about this oh my god i see it well i you know in the parts of covid where i couldn't sleep when i was waking up you know at 3 or 4 or 5 in the morning i just i had this impulse to write and i don't write plays i write novels um and I, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, I'm working on three novels right now, which is crazy to say out loud because I don't have time. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. But um, tell me about them. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, which one should I tell you about first? Well, I think one I wrote because uh, I was feeling lonely. And so the idea of exploring a relationship was really exciting to me. Um, And so I wrote this one that is a a woman sort of discovering what love could be. And uh, I need to develop it a little bit more. And then I will deep dive into it with you at some point. But um, perfect. But she's a fascinating character. But the thing that really that you said that really like rung with rung true with me is once I started writing my character development like sheets, essentially, you know, just sit down and write about the characters and say, you know, this is the food that they like and this is their background, their parents are like this, their siblings are like this, you know, it just it uh teaches you so much about those characters and then and then you really get to um and then you really get to see how the story goes because of the choices that they would make not um not based on the way that I thought that the story would go in my mind if that makes sense like I would I love that I would create an outline and be like okay I think this is the where the where I want the story to go and then the characters would like choose something totally different and I would be like oh well, that makes sense because you had these life experiences. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, let's rewrite the outline. <laughs> Have you ever done the cup of coffee exercise? No, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry. So this is this was one of those seemingly like brilliant things that my teacher dropped on me. And I was, it just exploded in my head later when I sat down to write. I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then I went, oh, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's the cup of coffee okay. exercise. So what you do is you imagine yourself 
in a white break room at work, right? Standard office break room. And you are getting a cup of coffee. And at that moment, in walks your character. They're your coworker at work. What do they do as they reach for that cup of coffee? Describe them reaching and finding their mug, how they pull it down, what mug they choose, how they fill the coffee cup. Do they use cream or sugar? Do they use nothing? Do they look at you? Do they acknowledge you? How do they exit the room? The way they act, both verbally and non-verbally, gives you so much information about that character from one simple like yeah. envisioning exercise. It's crazy. I Try mean, it. It's it blew my mind. I love that. It was also really um, informative to me as a director, which is something that I've been studying about in film direction. But um, but as a you know, when we were working on Don Giovanni, having these character maps to kind of figure out the characters was really helpful, especially when I was exploring Don Ottavio and how, how she would interact with Donna Anna, especially after the information about the commendatory is revealed to them, you know? Yes. So, so good to have this as a tool at that point. Um, and, you know, this, this is the kind of work that, directors should be doing anyway. So it was really great yeah. to have that uh, available to me. Um, yeah, what an interesting... Tell me about your second novel. Okay. Uh, I had an idea for like a visual... Uh, uh, I wanted... No, no, no. How do I say this? I wanted what it would be like to discover color for the first time. And... <gasps> So, <laughs> oh, yeah. If you grew up in a place, so it's a it's a, a fantasy novel. But if you grew up in a in a place where things are always the same colors, and all of the sudden, you know, new and more vibrant colors were available to you, what would that feel like? What would that look like what emotions be like in your body and and so I built a story around a woman interacting with I you know I write from a woman's perspective I think that makes sense um no <laughs> a woman discovering um discovering a, a brighter sense of light in her in her world um, and she's a librarian, and so that was really fun to to write about too. The way that the that the the light interacted with the books and made a more vibrant color come alive to her. And there's like a you know a, a kind of fantastical element to it, which was really fun to explore as well. So I this is such a cool thank idea. Thank you. Um, yeah, she interacts with a book that talks to her, and it's oh, it's so cool! I can't wait to share it with you. <laughs> I would love a book that talks to me. I would love that so much. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's cool. Uh, I need to finish that one. I haven't finished that. That one's uh, got a long way to go still, but I love the the concept of of discovering something for the first time. What is that experience like? And and um, what does that really feel like to a person? You know, I have synesthesia. And so the way that I process the world sometimes is different than other people. And, and uh, when I hear, when I, when I listen to music, especially, but when I hear sounds, they, uh, I see them spatially in my head and they have sometimes colors and sometimes shapes associated with them. That is so fascinating. It's really I, weird. It's just literally my brain processes things in the wrong way. But it, no, no, not the wrong well, way. Just a different way. I mean, you potato, no. I say potato. <laughs> well, we were talking about this the other day. So um, I was talking with Vince and uh, I, I, have, um, I have PTSD. So uh, loud noises are so much louder to oh, me than other people. I did not know that. And I didn't, I did not know that. I'm this many years old when I figured this out because my husband said to me, 
well, yeah, that's the reason why you like the captions on the bottom of the screen. And I said, well, yeah, if I read something, I'm much more likely to remember it. For me, it's like a kinesthetic, you know, thing of remembering if I'm reading it, if I physically write it, I'm going to, no, he goes, well, no, it's because you actually physically encounter um, sounds, especially if they're loud, Emma, like the hair on your arms goes up and I can see your skin move and like you what? actually encounter sound in a different way. It's crazy. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. Okay. Well, I won't sing at you. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. See, that's the other thing is like, if it is something, I, this was very interesting. It was suggested to me uh -huh. um, that part of the reason why I loved acting and being in production so much is because the repetition of planned response is so comforting and soothing to me. Wow. That's the reason why people keep watching over and over again, you know, the same shows on Netflix is because it's, a, it's an emotional response that is safe. They know that they're going to get the same thing at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's sort of the same thing. I, I will, you know, go to experiences that I know are safe and repeat them over and over again and then pick them apart and examine them. And that's part of the reason why I became an actor is because I was like, oh, this is a safe environment for me to do this in. Yes. I just never knew it. Yes. I love that. I just wanted everyone to love me. That's why. <laughs> you know, this is what's interesting yeah. too. Over COVID, this was the discussion that I had um, with uh, somebody the other day, another creative. Over COVID, do you feel that you have been granted uh -oh. more creative freedom or less creative freedom? Can you say that again? I'm sorry. I missed no, it. you're there. Yeah. Over COVID, because we've all been separated from one another, a lot of that fear that we have as artists that someone's going to judge our stuff yeah. is kind of gone. And we're seeing people put stuff on the internet, like crazy photos of them doing TikTok videos or like, you know, singing songs on their guitar that they would never do in real life or in public ever again. And they're not afraid to do it because there's kind of a separation. Oh. Do you find that you have more creative freedom because of COVID or do, you, or do you feel like you have less creative freedom or equal? Oh, that's such a great. Because I've been so, I know it's, you know, good. in my own space, in my own head, like I, I feel like I have, I have that available to me. Like, I feel like I have more freedom to to think creatively, especially around problems of, of production, you know, I feel much more yes. at ease looking at something, um, in that way. But, um, but yeah, I don't know what I would do. It's so interesting that you say that. I think that we also take a lot of social cues from each other and like how we're supposed to interact with each other becomes, Yes. Quote unquote, supposed to, right? Becomes um, yeah. more important the more time we all spend together. Yeah. It, I, it was so, it's so interesting to see, like, there's definitely a schism in um, the artistic world of those who were trying to play in the, the digital kind of forums <laughs> and the digital kind of, you know, film and experiment and try. And those who just, uh, decided to wait for in-person because they just were not comfortable or they weren't interested or, and that's fine too. It's just so interesting to see the different responses yeah, and to gauge everybody's like the way that they're feeling right now. I've got temperatures all over the city. I'm getting back at different, you know, some people feel great. Some people have really been languishing with this separation from other artists yeah. physically. Yeah. It's so true. I mean, my personal art, like the art that I work on for myself, like the novels, like like these one woman shows, I feel a lot of energy behind those things. But it, like the thought of going in person is a little bit stressful. <laughs> yeah. But I think we'll get there. I, I know like everything else, it's going to take practice to get back into it again. I, I was reading someone's post the other day about being in rehearsal and feeling weird about that. And I was just like, you know, it's going to take all of us time. All of us, we just have to be more uh, kind to ourselves and 
and give us our, give ourselves the time to really get used to it again. Yeah. It's also, it's also made everybody a lot more honest, I feel about needing space and time. And I hope that because everyone's being more honest, we can be more vulnerable. And that tells me we're going to make some really great art. Yes. Like I'm really expecting cool stuff. I know you and I are going to make great art. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. I know we're bringing it back around to the gala again, but we are announcing the season tonight and I'm so stinking excited about some of these projects. Like it's been very difficult not to want to tell people. I know. Same. And, and I, you know, I just really, I just really can't wait to send out these contracts and get these artists some more money, you know? (laughs) That's the other thing. Like it's been so fulfilling to be able to make work, but also be able to offer work to other people. And Joanna, that that has been the greatest joy of, of working with CORE and COVID. I thank you so much for, you know, trusting me to come along with you on this. I so love thank it. Thank you for trusting I'm just having a ride. Thank you for trusting us. It's been incredible to have you with us. We really needed your insight. So, oh, I just like to make cool shit with my friends. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Did you see? Okay, so just one last personal thing. Did you see the other day I posted, I I reposted something from like seven or eight years ago that I posted on Facebook. And I was like, these are the three things that I want as an artist. Number one, if I can't have my, or to have my own, to have my own dressing room in any show that I'm in. Number two, to have a costumer who doesn't smoke, which I thought was hilarious, but so me. And number, it's No, it's true. And number three, to be able to uh, be in a position where I could choose who I was performing with. And I was like, oh well, shit, like this, made this year made me make all of those things because my costumer sure as hell don't smoke. So <laughs> I... I have been so impressed. Like we put out an entire season over an international pandemic. And when you think about it, that could explain why we are all so exhausted. (laughs) But also that's so, I mean, I, I am so grateful to technology, fate, time, core, everyone we worked with, everybody just to be able to do that. It really it's been a lifesaver. It really kept me focused and happy to be able to create something and to offer that opportunity to others. And not just some something, but like something really artistically incredible with a lot of integrity. I just can't yes. like, that's the part that blows my mind. These artists are incredible. The technology that we use, incredible. The, the, the workarounds that Elijah and Kevin and Jim came up with, incredible. Like, just yep. amazing. Anyway, you know, go team. <laughs> we did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like a really good place to, like, end on a high yes. note. Hopper <laughs> 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 podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for chatting with me today. I really appreciate your time and your commitment to making such a wonderful podcast. Oh my God, I would be here. I could talk to you all I day. Know. We, could, we could do this all day. <laughs> someday we will. Uh, and someday we will. <laughs> Seven City is produced by Elijah Lee. Seven City would like to thank our listeners. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.